Welcome to Breaking the Chain, where we deep dive into the lives and experiences of entrepreneurs looking to shake up, change, and innovate their industries. In this podcast, we explore the challenges, successes, and everyday ups and downs of individuals fighting in the trenches for their dreams to become a reality. I'm your host, Nathaniel Chapman. Today, I'm joined by Laura Haddock DiCarlo, CEO and founder of Laura DiCarlo, a sexual wellness company looking to bring equality to sex through pleasure. Well, welcome. Welcome to episode five of Breaking the Chain. Today, I'm joined by Laura DiCarlo, and she's CEO and founder of Laura DiCarlo, which I believe is a sexual device pleasure sex tech business. Yeah. But she's here today to tell us all about that, the problem that her team and herself are looking to address, well, within electronics, within sex, within tech, within all sorts. So welcome. Thank you, Nathan. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. You kind of nailed it. We do everything tech, robotics, sex, and the intersection therein. So it's definitely the most fun job I've ever worked at. And I really loved your mission. So I obviously will get into your story and your background because I came across Laura's company and I think it's going to be a really interesting topic because obviously you've gotten a lot of publicity off of the back of being banned and then removed from CES, which everyone mm-hmm. you know probably knows what that is within electronics and tech. Um, and that's actually how we got introduced, really, because I saw that through your, I think through LinkedIn or through, through an article, and then mm-hmm. came back to your company and was really interested by the tech and the business and the problem you're trying to solve. Um, and actually where the mission behind your company is actually really fascinating. You know, and actually how that's led to the devices that you run with. It's not, you know, just a sec tech business. But perhaps for those people tuning in and who haven't been as lucky as me to come across the article and the information around, you know, your business, can you give us maybe a quick introduction to yourself and your company and what you guys do? So we are technically um, at our core, we started out as a robotics company. We make micro-robotic products that are physiologically appropriate for use for sexual experiences, particularly with vaginal sexual experiences to start. But we are growing and scaling so that we can encompass a larger line of products that speak to different kinds of human beings. So we actually started, I founded the company about three years ago in October 2017, and at the gate in the years prior, I had noticed that there was a there was really a, a dearth of technology within this space and just not a lot of physiological representation or really a lot of research and development that was focused on physiology or anatomy. And I was pre-med before I founded the company and actually had this really intense orgasm when I was about 28 or 29 years old. And It really shook me up. It literally shook me right off the side of the bed. And I kind of laid there thinking, holy crap, how did, what was that? And how do I do it again? How do I do it again by myself? How do I get that power back? by myself instead of having to do it with a with a partner what what's going on here and so i literally started looking for a product that would help recreate that experience and i found it didn't exist so then i started looking for the data that i might need in order to recreate a product that would help recreate the experience that data didn't exist either i looked in every medical journal i looked in all of my textbooks and just You'd be surprised. Not really. None of that was actually available anywhere. And I was 
I was surprised, not terribly surprised, and also really disheartened. And so I started asking people myself. I started looking for the data myself, and I discovered a lot of really interesting things about these individuals I was asking. I was asking friends, I was asking family, I was asking acquaintances, and just straight up people on social media, hey, would you like to take a survey? I'm collecting data about pleasure points. And the reactions I got from people were, first, they were just shocked and embarrassed and they didn't want to, they were like, I, I, I don't want to talk about this. Um, and then they would turn around and they would be like, oh, this is actually really interesting and it's something I really do want to talk about and I'm curious. And it's taboo. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like interesting. I want to talk about this because it's something nobody ever talks about with uh, me with. So, and then the next thing I realized was that every single one of these people they had trouble locating their pleasure points specifically. I actually had to teach a lot of people and I had to put together a lot of diagrams and walk people through exactly where these pleasure points were and how to find these measurements that I needed. All the while, I still didn't quite know what I was going to do with these measurements. It was just more like this crazy curiosity I had in wondering why doesn't this data exist? When, and everyone's so different, aren't they? So you've oh, got so many insanely. different opinions and, and feelings and and what we, I guess where people actually consider what an orgasm is or, or how they feel in that situation. So it's going to be hard to, yeah. to even gather that data. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was very interesting. And the last thing I realized was every person that I talked to that gave me their data was like, okay, why? Why do you want, why do you want to know this about me? And I said, because I'm trying to gather enough data so that we can see if there is a trend in this data, because if there is a trend in the data, that means that there is a solution. That means there's something that I can design or that somebody can design that helps to effectively solve the problem. And the problem is that people with vaginas don't have enough sex tech to explore their physiology, explore their pleasure. And I think what I want to do is I want to create something that creates a blended orgasm something that helps you find your, your G-spot or your urethral sponge, which is actually more specific, or your glands clitoris on the outside, and then helps you understand exactly how you like to be stimulated and actually elicit this kind of orgasm. And every single person that I talked to about this was like, oh my gosh, where is it? Can I have it? When is it going to be done? When can I buy it? And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And when was this? this so you have this amazing orgasm. You decide this you want was... to go out and, and <laughs> gather this data. Was it? Did it start sort of first like, Hey, I'm just going to ask random people what like if they've had this experience before. And it was it was very like grassroots. It was just like I w- I was asking random people, I was asking friends, family, and I was having them refer me to other people that might be willing to answer those questions. This all happened about 5 between 5 and all the way up until four or three years ago. So it's it spanned over like nearly 2 years and it was just kind of like this side project I had. And then but at this point, you didn't know if you were going to design a device. You were just kind of interested no in, the, in the, like, in, yeah. So it probably when it started. The closest thing I got in that period of time was like doodling things on napkins. And actually, I am a bit of an artist as well. So I was drawing up things that I thought uh, would help solve this problem. And it was just more out of curiosity than anything. And one evening, I was actually discussing the dearth of technology and lack of female physiological representation in research and design in these products. And 
the people I was talking to both happened to be exited entrepreneurs. So they knew how to start a business. They knew what the, what the landscape was like. I'd never even, and I wasn't even talking to them thinking, oh, they could help me. I was just like, I was just on a tear complaining yeah. about like the lack of tech and products like this and how, you know, there could be a next level. And they both kind of stopped me and they're like, hold on, it sounds like you have an idea for a company. And I was like, <laughs> Right. I no, I am not an entrepreneur. I don't know the first thing about business. I'm a nurse. Yeah. And then they said, no, seriously, it sounds like you have an idea for a product. It sounds like you have an invention. And I was like, I am not an inventor. I'm <laughs> not in a million years am I an inventor. But if I was an inventor, this is what I would do. And I explained to them the problem. I explained how I would solve it. And by the time I got done explaining everything, they, they're both staring at me like I had three heads. And, and I was like, what? What's wrong? And they're like, if you do that, if you, prefer, if you pursue this, we'll help you find funding. Yeah. We'll help you get that, that seed round. And I was like, what's a seed round? And, yeah. <laughs> and um, I kind of brushed it off, but they, they had planted that seed for me which kept me really interested in the idea of, well, maybe I could do something with this because I was staring down the barrel of another decade at, at med school in order to finish to become an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, wasn't quite the job that I wanted anymore. I mean, I used to really want that job that where I could change people's lives, the, where I could have my own autonomy. And, you know, the healthcare system, particularly in America, is not the same anymore. Um, you know, solo practitioners are a dying breed. You know, the paperwork is going through the roof and, you know, your autonomy is basically out the window. So it was starting to look pretty good. And, but I just didn't know what to do. But you know, so many people do go to university and that actually is what changes what they want to do. You know, I don't think many of us actually go to school for what we end up doing long-term, you know, and I never Absolutely. think it's like, Everyone thinks you have to go to this. I mean, I guess if you're going to be an orthopedic surgeon, then yeah, you, you know, probably you know what you're going to do when you get outside of uni. I mean, this was after, yeah, that was after I'd already been in the Navy. Yeah. Um, I'd been a Navy nurse, and I thought that was really what I wanted to do. But it's, um, you know. How, how long were you in the Navy? I was in for two years. Okay. Uh, I actually came out on an honorable discharge to go home and take care of my mom. But I went on a full-ride scholarship through Norwich University, and I loved every minute of it. There's part cool. of me that definitely misses it sometimes. I love the structure. I mean, I miss my brothers and sisters, but I think everything does happen for a reason. And I just didn't know that reason was I was supposed to be the sex tech CEO. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody so, leaves school thinking, oh, that's what I'm going to do with my life. So this, so this happens when you're at uni, you go through this practice of asking people, you meet with these entrepreneurs and people that say they'll help you get the funding. They think it's great. And then at this point, you must be thinking, I've got to re-engineer this project. Now I've got to actually create this. I've got these data points. I think I know how it should work. Now I've got to make it. Actually, at that point, I was thinking, nope, not doing this. This looks, <laughs> this is terrifying. I'm, no, 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 no. I didn't even, and they were asking, asking me for a pitch deck. I didn't even know what a pitch deck was. I was like, PowerPoint? I haven't looked at a PowerPoint since I was in like early, like first year of college. So yeah. it took like six, six months and they were just like, you know, they asked me, they was like, just tell me about the product. Tell us how it works. And I was like, Fine. So I grab this whiteboard and I, I lean it up against a wall and I start drawing through everything. I, I'm drawing what the female anatomy looks like. I'm drawing where those pleasure points are and how it changes on each person, how they can, how it, physiology and how anatomy is plastic, how it, it's not stationary. 
But then I start drawing like what the product could look like and a lot of different variations of what the product could look like. And then I start talking about, at the time, I didn't even know what a channel strategy was, but I start talking about channel strategy. Um, And then I start talking about why it's so important why something as simple and innocuous as a sexually as a really really well designed device for sexual exploration could change the narrative around how we talk about sex masturbation and identity yeah and and i looked up and and they're just like they have this big grin on their face and i was just like what why are you smiling what i do and and they said that was a pitch deck yeah. and it was a good one and i was like oh well, crap, I guess we're starting a company. So I founded the company two weeks after that. And when, so what year is this now? So you started five years October ago? October of 2017. This is three cool. years ago. Wow. So you've yeah. come a long way in three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have definitely moved at a good clip. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that at the very beginning, I've had some very good mentors. I have always been the kind of person that thought, you know, I need to do it all on my own. I'm not strong if I don't do it on my own. That has been a very hard unlearning. And it's been a very interesting lesson for me because I realized the only way you can grow and scale as quickly as we have is to admit that you are not the only person that can that can accomplish something is to trust your team and rely on your team and bring in some of the most brilliant people you can find. And that actually uh, kind of attributes back to our values and our mission as a company. Our values are rooted in respect, empowerment, and integrity. And for us, that creates a very inclusive culture. And that inclusive culture is what drives our innovation. Having the ability, giving every single person the ability to be able to sit at the same table and innovate and talk about ideas and talk about problems and then talk about those solutions. When you have people of all different kinds of backgrounds creating solutions to problems, you start solving problems that affect everyone. So we were able to scale very quickly in a short period of time. And it started out at, we started kind of at Oregon State University. I ended up sitting across a conference table from Dr. John Parmigiani at Oregon State University. Uh, he was the head of the MIME lab at their College of Engineering. And they happened to be the top four uh, robotics graduate program in the country. And, you know, at first when, uh, <laughs> when I sat down with him, I said, you know, and he's like, he's this like awesome Italian man. He's like in his, he, I think he's in his fifties. And, and he was just like, okay, like, okay, another Italian girl, we'll sit down, we'll talk about this. And the first thing that falls out of my mouth is, so I had this orgasm when I was 28 and I want to recreate the experience. And he just blanched. He turned white and then he turned bright red. And how did you know, how did you create, where did these come from? This just came from... But then I I handed him this sheet, and it had 52 functional engineering requirements that I had drawn up in order to engineer the product. And he got really excited. And he said, we can do this. We can make this work. When I... I come from a family of engineers. My father is actually, he he was the space station program manager at the Kennedy Space Station through uh, Lockheed at NASA. And I was originally recruited as as a nuclear engineer when I went to the Navy. So I've got, I've got a little bit of a knack for mathematics and engineering and that, that kind of, like, I have a spatial approach to engineering and and innovation. And so I started thinking up, like, what is it, like, literally 
kind of like this 3D invention in my head and <clears throat> what are all the what are all the specs that need to be associated with this product in order to solve problems and where do we start? Because I didn't just want to come in and be like, I have this great idea. Can you do the whole thing from scratch? Um, doesn't quite work that way. Or if it does, like you're very lucky or it's going to take a really long time because guess what? Like that, that baby, it's inside your head. It's not inside anybody else's head. So if you can't come to the table with something to offer and with a good starting point, you're either never going to get off the ground or it's going to take you 10 years yeah. at least. Well, you, and you also find obviously people, you, you know, I'm sure we've always been at like the barbecue or something where someone has this brilliant, you know, this idea, but they have no way to implement it. You know, if, if there's probably everyone in their friendship group has probably got one person that says they thought of Snapchat, you know, you know. Oh, or yeah. Something. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, did you put together the spec sheet? Because I guarantee you that's like that's your first step. If you if you just talk about it and talk about it, it's not an invention. Yeah, exactly. You haven't done anything. You got it. You got to get it off the ground. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times yeah. I've had people come up to me and they're like, I have this great idea for a sex toy okay, well, tell me about it. And they tell you about it. And I'm like, where do you start with this? Where do you even start? If you want to get that off the ground, go talk to a patent attorney, go do some drawings, go do some specs. Tell me what kind of problem you're solving, how you're going to solve it. Like how long a stroke length is, how big it has to be, what kind of materials you're going to use, you know, what the marketing material might even look like. And uh, that's what I took to John. And that's when we put together an industry-funded research program funded by Laura DiCarlo at Oregon State University. Um, I think we are, and around the same time, I think it was within that same year, we actually got a, uh, a state grant by the, the state of Oregon for a hundred grand. Um, and we put together this, this industry-funded research program with Oregon State. So we were making a lot of local news at the time because to be a sex tech company and you know local government funding and to be able to partner with a state university, it was pretty amusing to us at the, at the time. We were just like, wow, like this is kind of cool. I guess Oregon is a little bit progressive. Yeah, definitely. And how do you get to, I mean, to get to that stage, was that just because you met, you guys got a chance to meet and because you, the pitch you gave him and the data points, then you guys could start to go through the process of applying for grants or, or looking at university partners and things like that? Or So it, it had to do uh, a little bit with Oregon State where the grant is concerned. It had more yeah. to do with uh, the people that I had on uh, with the company as advisors. Um, yeah. Some of my investors were uh, very well aware of like, you know, kind of those loopholes. So I kept them close to me. Like the way that we actually picked our advisors were, was really kind of innovative in itself. Like we had people that were really interested, but if, you know, a lot of the time when you pick your advisors or your VCs, you want to make sure that you've got somebody that knows, um, you know, how to help get you further. And we had a lot of uh, angel investors that had uh, experience with, um, that had an interest with, uh, what's it, um, the Oregon Opportunity Zone Fund that had just started. They were looking to uh, expand some other businesses using this fund. And so we, we said, okay. Oh, we, we may not be in real estate, but we have assets within these zones, so let's take advantage of that. So we actually created a separate fund that uh, was under the umbrella of Laura DiCarlo, and um, we were able to uh, amass more funding. But it's, it's those advisors that helped to put together uh, those grants, those, um, those RFPs in order to get that funding from the state of Oregon. And I was just blown away. You, you went through a process, you must've gone through a stage of then already 
doing asking for seed investment and angel investors before you had built a workable product. And that's what you then, you had these data points and, and this information and these investors, and then you went to Oregon State and started to develop your product? Yeah, actually. So we, when I got our seed round, this is the beauty of going through a state university, Yeah, is I was able to fund this industry-funded research program with my seed funding. Cool. We actually went to a different firm. We went to a couple firms with the idea, with the project, with our specs, with our with our drawings and, and everything. And I even started trying to teach myself CAD, which was hilarious and a little bit of a joke, but it was awesome. Yeah. And these firms, we had one firm tell us, oh, it's going to take you five years and $5 million. Not including marketing, not including any other thing, anything other than just the product development. That's it. And we went, hmm, nope. <laughs> we <laughs> no kept thanks. looking. Because I'm like, I, I literally, like my first seed yeah. round was for less than 200 grand. I'm like, that's not going to work. Yeah. So we ended up with Oregon State University and we ended up hiring several interns. And that's how that worked. So that's how we got through that ideation phase. And we got to a point where we had produced five patents pending and we had our prototype. We had a proof of concept. And that's what we took to, or, to uh, the Consumer Technology Association. This was your um, first product. To their CES. The OSE, mm-hmm. oh, OSE, right? OSE, yes. The OSE. Yeah. yeah. I love that name. The <laughs> <laughs> it, it means risque or it means to dare. Ah, all right. Interesting. So, and, and so this went into building the first product. And how long then from when you had that grant, you started to work at Oregon State, did you have a workable prototype? We, I mean, it took us nine months before we had prototypes uh, and we had patents. And that's what we took to CES. And a month later, less than a month later, we had Honorary Innovation Award in Robotics and Drones from yeah. them which blew my mind. And then less than a month later after that, they took it away. And they called the product obscene. They called it profane. And I, I, I remember just feeling completely flabbergasted. Just yeah. like, wow, like this is, it's, I, I see sexuality as being something that is sacred, not profane. Yeah. Obscene. But they must have added you into the conference to start, right? So you were allowed to come initially. And then allowed to no. enter the no. So how, no. how does it so work? What, so how this happens? The timeline is interesting. So you apply for this award. You apply for it months in advance. Right. So we applied for it in September. We got it in October, and before they had even done a showcase to give you a sneak peek about what products are were winning awards, yeah. they took ours away. So and the reason they took it away is because we were actually we were talking to their exhibitor space because if you wanted to be in the showcase after you get an award, you have to be an exhibitor. And we're just yeah. thinking, holy crap, that's like that's like a 40k buy-in. Yeah. Like just to get in. So that's when I started raising more funds. I started talking to more people. And we start applying for the exhibitor space because we want to be in the showcase. And uh, that's when they flagged us because they went, oh, you're an adult company. You don't get to be here. And I was like, hold on a second. One, you have adult companies on your floor. Two, we won an award. Like, Like, what did you, like, we need to be in the showcase. Let's work this out. And they're like, no. So we went back to the people that we got the award from, because this is a very big association, keep in mind. And that's when the people that gave us the award went dark. They went dark for like three days, and I'm just going, holy crap, what's going on? And they respond to us, and they say, we apologize, but 
this spawned a bigger conversation that went up the chain of administrators, and the administrators are taking away your award. And I just hit the floor. I was, I was devastated. I, I actually got pulled out of a meeting, an engineering meeting, to get this news, and I, I could barely walk back in the room. And we had a mostly female-facing engineering team, and rather queer-centric as well. So we were really excited. We thought that getting the award main, like, signified a changing of the times. So that, yeah. uh, you know, they were somehow becoming more accepting of sex, sexuality, and, and the intersection with technology. So before this, you were saying there were some adult companies that were at CES before. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, don't, I mean, I always keep up to date with CES, and I've, I've, you know, I always tune in. I don't watch the whole thing because it always takes, <laughs> what, three days, or and I've never been myself. I'd love to go, but... And especially for people listening in, but they they must have some adult companies there before. Or were you the first that would have been there, or what's no? The- they'd actually given awards to uh, adult companies as well. They gave an award to a product called Little Bird. Um, it was a French company that it was an ero- it was a product that would stimulate you based on the erotic material that you were reading. They uh-huh. had a company there uh, that had been exhibiting there for nine years. And it was a vibrator company. Then another company there that that did VR porn. Yeah. And they exhibited out there on the on the show floor. Like you could walk up to this booth and there were men standing all around in this booth wearing these VR headsets watching porn. Jesus. <laughs> a, a friend of mine actually went to that booth and they asked her do you want to try our product? She's like, oh, well, maybe. And they're like, do you want to try the male version, the male perspective or the female perspective? And she was like, wow, that's very progressive of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll try the female perspective. So she puts on the headset and what does she see? She sees two women having sex. And apparently that's what all females want to see. Yeah. I mean, there. I don't mind it. There might be a lot of females that like to see that, but apparently that's what all females want to see is two women having sex. It comes back to your point about that equality piece, you know, about there being the, the both perspectives or both, you know, being represented from both sides. Exactly. Um, wow. So, and so with the revocation of they saying, hey, we're going to take this award away, did that mean no one then could display? Was this like a larger conversation about sex devices and stuff where they didn't saying, hey, we're not going to. Just nope, you guys. Just us. They they literally kicked us out and they banned us from the show. And that's when we compiled all the evidence that we had and and we decided to tell the world. So we yeah. actually released all this information the at midnight the day that CES, the first day of the show. And we took over the news. You if you read anything about CES, it probably had to do with Laura DiCarlo that day. That whole week, it was like it was hell week for for me and and some of our other team members because I remember sitting in a room in an office building off site because we weren't allowed to be at CES off site and literally just having reporters come in over and over and over again and I remember asking my publicist, "Can I just take a break? I just need to go to the bathroom." And she was like, "No, not now. <laughs> in a little bit, I will find a spot for you to go pee." And I was like, "Okay." And that's what the whole week was like. It was intense. We actually, over the course of the entire year in 2019, we had over 750 articles written about Laura Carlo most of which had to do with CES uh, that year, which is insane. I mean, we're a startup. This would have been great, right? Publicity-wise. It was insane. Your PR team must have been 
It was like super happy. (laughs) Yeah. My, our publicists were like, told us they'd never, ever, they'd seen stuff like this. They had never been able to experience something like this themselves. So it was, and it still is, it's still a great roller coaster. But within a couple of months, the CTA, the Consumer Technology Association, Gary Shapiro actually reached out to me directly and said, hey, can we talk? And this is months of silence, after months of silence. And and I was like, yeah, sure, let's put together a meeting between your team and my team. And the first thing he said when he got on the phone was, I owe you a really big apology. We should have never taken the award away. And that was the wrong thing to do. And I said, yeah, you, it was, you owe my team an apology. Actually, they worked their tails off for this. And it's a very innovative piece of technology. And I realized kind of during that call that they were, they were looking to give us, give the award back. They were looking to exonerate themselves in some way. And not just because they needed a public make call, but they wanted to be better. They wanted to do better. And that's when we turned around and we talked to them and we said, look, you have a big problem with women at your show. You have a problem, you actually have an inclusion problem at your show and a diversity problem. So let us help you. We'd love to help you. You know, if we could actually sit down with you and talk about your policies and how we can change them to be more inclusive and also to include sex tech and, and do it right this time. So we offered to help them to change those policies and make a, create a more inclusive show that actually included sex tech. And I remember one of Karen Chepka, the VP at the Consumer Technology Association, called me up and said, hey, could we maybe just put sex tech in its own, in its own section by itself? And that's when we kind of realized, I said, no, actually you can't. And I would highly recommend against it. And she was like, why? And I was like, because what we're trying to do here is normalize sexuality and also sexuality, sexual health and wellness is health and wellness. So it actually belongs in the health and wellness category along with the rest of the health and wellness tech. And if we do this, it will help to normalize it further. I'm all for having, you know, out the gate when they're experimenting with this this space a little bit, having a little bit more control over the marketing and making sure that people are doing it in a very respectful and tasteful manner. And, you know, my position on it is if the tech that you're creating is truly solving a problem. It really is truly innovative, but it's also respectfully done, it's tastefully done, and it doesn't objectify human bodies, then it does deserve to be at this show. So let's find a way to do that. And we did. And so in 2020, earlier this year, you saw this, this show that was completely welcoming of sex tech. It was done tastefully. It was done in a very respectful manner. Um, and there was tons of really cool innovation. And actually, there, were, there was plenty of uh, articles written about sex tech being at the show this year. And, and literally, the headline was, you know, sex tech is at CES, and they're having way more fun than everybody else. And we were. We were having a great time. There were, and there were several of our competitors that were there. And And I think the one thing that's definitely true for this space, this industry within sex tech, um, is we're very collaborative. 
we understand that even though we might be competitors with each other, that the only way that we can actually move the needle forward is if we work together. And I mean, the idea behind that is that all ships rise with the tide. And that's exactly what we did. Everybody kind of worked together to make sure that we lifted that message up and we were able to actually be at CES. And I think that's really important because sexual health and education and wellness is, is an integral part of humanity and how we operate, and how we identify as human beings. So allowing it to be at the show in a, in a respectfully done manner is absolutely necessary to our evolution as a species. And did this allow, I assume it allowed more companies to actually come this last year as well? So you, I'm sure even people from your industry were happy because it's brought more attention to them. It's brought more people to the, to the conversation. So you've been kind of a real advocate for, the, for your industry. Yeah, I think we do feel like we were able to really become change makers in this space. But this was actually the first year that we were all allowed to uh, to exhibit at the show. And I think that's done uh, last year in 2019 was, was definitely a struggle year for a lot of us. You know, there are companies, Dame Products had a lot of issues with the MTA in New York City, the, the rail, uh, the subway with advertising there. Uh, last year, Lioness, Liz Klinger, the CEO there, tried to, uh, she showcased at a Samsung event for women in tech in San Francisco and called me that Late, later that night and said, they kicked me out. What do I do? You know, and, and we made sure she got coverage for that. I let her borrow my PR team because I was like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a competitor. You need, like, people need to hear about this because it's wrong. I love that. That's that's such a cool story. You know, like, giving out your PR, I think that's incredible. You don't, wouldn't hear that for other industries, you know? But it's, you're right. It helps push, it helps push overall your guys' agenda or what you guys would like to do as a group. So, yeah, why not bring attention to it? Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it really does. It, it benefits everyone. And actually, if, if you've seen any of my talks recently, like what we're kind of focusing on, and I'm hoping to write a book about it, is called The Altruistic Agenda. Because um, when you say the word agenda, I always think like, oh, you've got this like personal thing that you, you, you want to push because you're going to somehow benefit from it. But The Altruistic Agenda is more more kind of this this approach to business that I think a lot of particularly female and LGBTQ folks and a younger generation of folks approach business this way where we realize yeah. that the best way to grow and scale is to do it together and to lift others up and allow other people to have a platform to thrive and grow because that helps everyone grow. So it's it's been kind of my personal yes, personal agenda, but it is it is an altruistic one. It's it's one where I want to see everybody be able to be lifted up because I realized that having every, all of our competitors and everybody that really takes this space seriously, particularly with like the technology integration and the education, that benefits everyone. That doesn't even just benefit the companies, that benefits, you know, our communities, our followers, our consumers, when they can have access to better education where sexuality and sexual health and wellness is concerned. But he's just opening up the conversation and allowing you guys to cooperate and, and speak more about the topic at hand. And I think, like you say, many times I think people think it's a bit of an off, you know, what do you, how would you say, like a, like a off topic, like the people it's don't want to talk about it. It's a taboo topic. I hear topic. taboo a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, very stigmatized. Yeah. Um, folks are embarrassed to talk about it because that's the, yeah. you know, that's the way that we've always looked at sexuality since we were very young. And 
and that's actually I you know some people might cringe a little bit but I honestly yeah. I think it I think it starts with our youngest our youngest kids it doesn't mean we have to talk to them about fetishes or anything crazy like that but talking to our kids openly about sexuality you know about desire and and helping them to understand that it's normal helping them to understand that any identity that you experience or any kind of sexual preference or desire or pleasure the pleasure is normal and and that pursuing it is not is not somehow evil or or demonizing. And I mean, our vision as a company is to actually bring sexuality into a space where sexual exploration is is praised and identity is no longer demonized. That 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 education is no longer demonized. And because we understand that if Sexual preference, pleasure, all has a direct correlation to identity and to, to success even. With the way that we looked at it, we, we kind of connect the dots. We go, okay, so sexuality and preference informs identity. And when you're comfortable in your identity, then you become confident in who you are. And when you're confident in who you are, you can go out and you can do really great things. When you go out and you do great things, you change the world. And that is our goal as a company is to change the world just one person at a time, giving everybody the platform and the confidence to be able to go out and do these great things. And um, we think it starts with sex. We think it starts with uh, sexuality. Yeah. For you guys as a business now, how has you, have you responded to COVID? Has it been a big, has it affected your guys' operations much? Like, I almost assumed that maybe you'd have an increase in orders. Like, if you had more people at home, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think I, I think we, <laughs> yeah, we we actually I kind of nicknamed the uh, the week that they sent out the stimulus package. That was the stimulus package for stimulation <laughs> uh, because we we got a huge influx of orders that week. People are like, ah, I got my money. I am definitely buying sex tech because I am stuck at home. And you know, some people it's just like they think it's just about about pleasure. That's just about sex. Sex. And I think I'm hoping that a lot of these people that they they buy these products, they're discovering more about themselves. When you discover more about yourself, you feel more comfortable in your own body and who you are, and that breeds confidence. And we also understand that that orgasms are actually really good for you. We're talking about how people are so stressed out and so anxious in today's landscape due to COVID, due to the fact that we are in the middle of a civil rights movement. It, It causes a lot of stress and anxiety, but guess what? Orgasms are actually really good for you. We actually did a study last year, and we, we surveyed over 1,500 people and asked them, why, are, why do you masturbate? Why, why do you have sex? And their top three reasons were, one, to sleep better, two, to, to de-stress, and three, for overall, overall well-being. If that doesn't scream sexual health, and if that doesn't scream health and wellness, then I'll be damned, because that's, that's exactly what it's doing. So... You know, I think people are are looking for, you know, something else to do. But I think, I hope at the same time, they're discovering the benefits of understanding and exploring your own body and your own pleasure at the same time. And you guys now are delivering that through a range of products, right? So you started with the OSA, but you also have a few new. I saw you've announced a new product as well, or that, and you've got yeah, some more in the pipeline. Yeah, and it's actually so. doing really well. So we have three products now on the website. Uh, one is Osei, that's our very first product, and that uh, delivers a blended orgasm using biomimicry, or the mimicry of human motion, and it can actually be fitted to an individual's anatomy. 
in order to hit the right spots. And then we've actually done two products that are kind of one-offs of Osei, but the reason we did them is because during that same survey of 1,500 people last year, we actually asked people, how do you like to be stimulated? What kind of touch do you like? And we discovered they like that come hither motion on the inside anterior vaginal wall. And they also, surprise, they love cunnilingus. They love oral sex. So, um, and specifically the kind of oral sex that we created with our newest product that is now on the, now on the market, it's called Bocce. It actually just means kiss in Italian. And what's really interesting about this, and I want to show this because we're on video, but your, your listeners can't see this, is that the mouth, the clitoral mouth actually fits within the external labia. So it can actually fit creating an even better sealing connection to the vulva and the inner labia. And then the clitoris falls into this little, this little hole and the entire cup actually, it actually thrums and you create this touchless thrumming sensation on the glands clitoris. So what you're doing is you're actually stimulating the whole body of the clitoris from the outside uh, instead of just that glands clitoris that a lot of products stimulate. Um, so you get this more full body experience. And I will tell you one thing, the reviews for this product so far are through the roof. I was excited about it because I did a lot of the beta testing and obviously like I'm very involved in our product Perks design. Job. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of market research. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we, I was stoked. I was really excited about it. We, we tested it just seven ways from Sunday with types of different people, you know, but you're never a hundred percent sure when you, when you introduce a new product in the market, is it really going to go well? And damn, it's going well. People love this. And it's, it's very thoughtfully designed. It's actually, it actually kind of looks, um, it's very discreet. It looks kind of like a, like a jar of like facial cream. Um, and then you remove the lid and there's the party. Uh, so. <laughs> and we'll definitely look, we'll share a lot of the images and links to the website at the end of this. And people who are on our website or on our pages will have access to your products and stuff. So even though I'm getting a little bit more of the, the full version view, we'll make sure everyone who's been, who is listening can get a chance to, to check that out for sure. Cause it's incredible. And now, so now you have three items and I guess they could be, is there a preference or is there a pattern for what is getting ordered the most at this point, or do you find it's quite even? Oh, right now, you know, Osei has always been our hero product. People keep ordering it, keep buying it. Um, but Bocce is definitely through the roof right now. People are really excited about it. It's a bit, it's, you know, to be honest, it's a better entry level product. You know, there are, I would definitely say there are products out there that are like novice all the way up to, you know, expert level 99 out there that, you know, Starting with a product that isn't too crazy, there's no shame in that. Like just dipping a toe in and, and doing something that that isn't intimidating is is good. Some people find uh, the more advanced products to be intimidating. So you know, starting out with something more simple like bocce is 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 perfectly fine. We actually have another couple of products that are going to be uh, we're going to be launching in the next month or so as well which are also clitoral stimulators that utilize biomimicry. What I'm really, really excited about, because it wasn't me that came up with the original design. It was actually two of our youngest engineers, Avery and Maisie. Um, and they've both been with us since, almost since day one. They've been with us longer than most of our team. They've been with us for almost, 
actually two years in August. They're both right out of right out of uh, university. They were at Oregon State University and started out as interns with us. And you know, Maisie is she's barely 21 this year, and she is our lab manager. She runs our our iterative 3D printing lab now, and she's uh, adorable and hilarious. And and Avery just finished writing a paper. Like, I, I just died because, you know, I sent her an email message saying, I really wish I had been able to find your paper when I was looking for all of that, uh, for that medical information, for that data, you know, five years ago. So really trying to bolster their their development and their confidence as young women and but they're also coming up with designs of their own so yeah our, I love my team I could I am absolutely blessed and how are you I mean now this is I love to ask this question near the end because I know we've got you've got to get going soon here but you know you've come through an incredible journey you know I, I love that we actually got to touch on that at the beginning because it led very well into your product and the company and where you guys have gotten so far but what's I suppose considering you've had a background in the Navy and then you're going to become an orthopedic surgeon and then you've come into this product and it's kind of accelerated really quickly over the last three years, what's one piece of advice I think that you wish you would have had at the very beginning? Or what's if someone's listening into this and you've got one word of wisdom that you wish day one uh, you had had, what would it be? Um, actually, probably two pieces. One is that you are enough but if you want to do great things, surrounding pe- surrounding yourself with other great human beings and relying on them and trusting them to do their jobs will get you to much, much greater heights. You know, that's the only way that we were able to scale this business. I am, I am enough on my own, but there's no way that I could have done this without the help of my entire team. And the next thing is that it's never too hard. It's always, it's just hard enough. It's hard enough for you to be able to grow and be your better self. It's just hard enough to be able to celebrate when you succeed. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate you coming on today. And I think we're going to have to obviously connect further on when we find out a little bit more about your new products and where your business is going and and the journey you guys are on right now. But it's been really exciting to dive into the business today and awesome to actually just come across you guys and really rising through adversity, right? Like having to go through what you've been through the last few years and actually turning that into a positive and seeing where the company's come to is fantastic. So congratulations of getting where you are so far and looks like really exciting times ahead. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for joining us for our fifth episode. For more information on the OSA, and on Laura DiCarlo and her story, check out their website at www.lauradicarlo.com. And make sure that you follow us and hit that subscribe button for more stories about entrepreneurs in the making. <laughs>